0: Good morning, everybody. Enjoyed a little video? That's part of what we do. I minister about eight months out of the year here in North America, and then we do a lot of Africa, sometimes Europe, a little bit of, of uh, Central America as well. But uh, I thought I would clear something up right away as I stand here because I'm, I know pastors told you a little bit about our ministry uh, prior to me coming saw the video there and maybe he told you I was raised in New York, I just flew in from Chicago. And I realized that there is somewhat of a confusion in the audience today because some of you are thinking, oh my God, how can there be the combination of a Yankee and anointing? (laughs) (laughs) My mother's family came over from Italy. My mother was first born here on the U.S. soil. Uh, but my father's family came from the U.K. at the very end of the 1800s, and my great-great-grandfather Everett was born on U.S. soil and as a child uh, moved to, uh, he was born in Georgia, and was born to, uh, and moved to Mobile. So since the early 1800s to this present day, the Everett family has always been Alabama folks. Now, now you see, you're relaxed now. You're thinking, okay, this makes sense. I get it now. It's legal to smile twice on a Sunday morning. Be careful how you use them up. Uh, This is going to be a great week. Do you believe that? It really really is. Just a couple of things. Can I just talk for a minute before I preach? Would that be all right? Just uh, give you a little bit of idea of who it is that's standing here. One of the things I want you to know right away about Dale Everett is that I am saved. It's good to know the guy that's preaching to you is saved. Is that right? <laughs> all right, so that, I got saved at seven years of age. I remember it well, a Sunday night service. You still do Sunday nights here? Uh, people don't do Sunday nights anywhere anymore, I don't think. Hardly at all. But, uh, but I remember that Sunday evening service when I had my encounter with Jesus as Lord. And I left that altar of prayer that night. I remember saying to a young guy, my, friend of mine that now pastors in New England, I said, Jeff, I got saved tonight. Uh, no, no altar call, no uh, no one leading me in a prayer. Just, I, I grew up in a church that it was a strong culture of prayer. Uh, waiting upon God for literally hours was the nature of that church. And it was in that environment that I met Jesus. And when you get saved, no one has to tell you. You understand this? You'll know it. And that happened to me that one summer evening in Niagara Falls, New York. The very next year is when I first picked up on or heard in my spirit the call of God into ministry. At age eight, I knew then that I wasn't going to be a farmer. I wasn't going to uh, be a general in the military or uh, the next (coughs) Republican candidate. I, I knew. I knew then that somehow, some way, I didn't know what, but I knew somehow, some way, I would serve him in full-time uh, ministry. At nine years of age, he baptized me in the Holy Ghost. I love to see people get filled with the Holy Ghost. This past year, we have witnessed 4,000 people worldwide receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have people filled with the Holy Ghost in this room, in this place, this week. And it might as well be you. Come on, or your family, or your loved ones, right? If you've already got it, really. Uh, But it's one of the key gifts of God. There are three three areas God has given me what I call greater grace in. One is to see people get saved. That was an amen spot right there. You missed it altogether. (laughs) Come on, come on. One is to see people get saved oh yeah that's that's what it's you know really that's what it's all about isn't it that's what it all that's what it's all about we're, we had the joy of praying with over 8,000 people last year to come into the kingdom but in that little video you just saw right now which was Bujumbura, Burundi uh we actually were seeing 5,000 a day that were praying to receive Jesus as Lord we opened up with about 15,000 people and we concluded according to what the chief of police told me uh who had been controlling the crowds in the city. Uh, the city is about 700,000 in the final day. He told me, he said, you know, there were 200,000 people in the, in the audience. He said, I could only let about 120 on the grounds, and then the ground was jammed. He said, we kept 80,000 on the outside. But I, I, Anyhow, God's given us great favor to see people get saved. Let me tell you, this is the week for your whole household to come into the kingdom. It is. It's, this is your week. You'll find it be easy for people to enter the kingdom. There's an there's an anointing of grace for that to take place. So one is to see people get saved, another is to see people get healed, and that's one of the great gifts of God that function in our ministry. You'll see people healed every time we have a healing service here, which tonight is six o'clock. Is that remembering that right? And then it's six thirty on the other nights. Is that true? Okay. Don't look at me like that. You didn't know what time it was? Yeah. Yeah, so 6 o'clock tonight will be the first healing service that we'll do. Now you say, well, I need to get healed now. Well, do it. (laughs) Really, go ahead and receive. That sounds crude, but really, Jesus is here. Nothing's impossible. But the focus tonight, time-wise and everything else, is get it, tonight will be a night of extraordinary miracles. And God opened that grace to me very early on in life. Because after I received the Holy Ghost, just shortly thereafter, uh, I was about 12 years of age, uh, is when he spoke to me first about the first phase of this ministry, which would be evangelism. And I did that for 22 years and pastored for 15 years. And then God uh, has now taken me to the nations. But, uh, but early on, there, when I hit between 12 and 15, he kept coming to me again and again. The, the, the word of the Lord will come to you in stages. Do you understand that? It's a seed that opens up. And so he would come to me again and say this to me. He'd say, Dale, I want you to heal the sick and cast out devils. He was defining where my ministry would focus. And, and I tell people I was doing really good until he said that. You know, when he said, you're saved, I thought, hot dog, I'm in. When, you know, and he said, I want you to be in ministry. I thought, that's just wonderful. When he said, be an evangelist, I said, that's a great place to start. Uh, uh, but when he said, heal the sick and cast out devils, man, I backed up real bad. And, and not because I didn't believe in it. Because I grew up in a full gospel church where they where they told us, you know, especially to save Jesus, heal, Jesus delivers, he fills. That's all I knew. In fact, I didn't know anyone else believed anything else. I thought anybody believed the Bible, believe that. And that's where I was at. And and so, But when, so when he said, do it, I thought, well, no, whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait just a minute. I believe this stuff, but that's not me. Come on. Does anyone in the room appreciate where I was sitting at that moment? And uh and I won't the along of it right now, but it was right at the end of my fourth. in a, uh, does anybody remember camp meetings? This thing, am I losing the mic? Is it, uh, or am I just having moments of deafness? Is this, is it me or is it a brother? Is it, are you adjusting or is it the microphone? Is it popping in and out? All right, oh now I got two mics I feel like. A, well, I feel like one of those TV guys now. Give me, about- Give me about six more, and then a big bundle. But when he uh, when he spoke that into my heart, and he and he opened to me the vision of this ministry. That what you just saw in the video, I saw that right at the end of my 14th year. And when I saw that, I I understood what the call was, and, it's, and the dimension of divine healing that would happen. And and uh, and before my 15th year of life was out, the gift was obvious. It was showing, and people were getting healed. And I started traveling the nation at that time. But he said something to me that I want to say to you very clearly, and that was this, that we'd never have a healing service. But what, number one, he would heal people. Number two, there would be people identifiably, visibly healed. So that means, now, you know, some people get healed like a blood pressure, and that's really important. That's really important. I mean, that'll take you out. But no one can tell you got healed of it. It's not like a tumor that disappears or something. You'd have to have an examination to know, for the most part, unless you're having such a severe problem that you're dizzy or whatever, but that's not highly common. But he said there'll be always visible miracles. I'm talking about, you know, like a blind eye opening, a deaf ear hearing, a short leg being lengthened, a bowed leg being straightened out. That's visible. You can see that. You understand what I'm talking about? Can I tell you, this coming June will mark the 48th year of this ministry. I've never seen him fail to do that. Never, never been, in, never been in a healing service where not only people got healed, but what you couldn't tell they got healed. I'm going to tell you tonight at the six o'clock service, Jesus, we're not going to tell you we're going to pray for the sick. I'm going to tell you Jesus is going to heal people tonight. And come on, he's going to heal people tonight. And that's the will of God for you to experience and to have. If you've never seen a miracle, please be out at 6. If you need a miracle, my God, you need to be out here at 6 o'clock. It's going to happen. And today, most of the miracles happen in our ministry. I used to lay hands on folks, and I'll talk a lot about that tonight. But today, they happen while I'm preaching. By the time I'm through preaching tonight, a strong percentage of this congregation, upwards to sometimes 50%, will have experienced the touch of God, an identifiable answer to prayer and miracle. That takes place it will happen in this room because the Lord will show himself mightily but that started early on so I was saying to the pastor just before I stepped up I, I looked across this audience I'm glad to see everybody here in every age group but I notice a lot of people that are uh, I'm going to say under the age of 40 we'll put it that way but I'm thinking under the age of 30 that are in the room and I'm excited about that because you are in a wonderful moment to grab a hold of the divine design of your life and begin to walk and move within that because as you've heard just from my testimony, the big portion of the unveiling came to me before I hit 20 years of age. By the time I hit 20, I was already doing crusades. In those days, it would go eight, nine, and ten weeks in length. Uh, Guys, now is the time to grab the bull by the horns. Y'all hear this? Now is the time to step up and part of what happens in a crusade like this is not just that you hear preaching and get information or get healed, but there comes moments of divine impartation that open up a destiny uh, a door for you, and that will happen for you uh, in these next few days that we're sharing together. We have come into this place, this moment by the, uh, by the working of the Holy Spirit. It hasn't happened just because it fit a schedule. It's happening because this is what God has for us. He's got something beyond what you can imagine that's set for your life. So anyhow, quick idea. Tonight we're going to focus on divine healing, uh, and, we'll, and God will touch people, heal people that are sick. He's going to uh, work uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Monday. If you've not heard much about the Holy Spirit baptism, you'll discover it Monday. If you know all about it, you'll get more. Someone say more. We serve a God who does more, and really does more. Anytime you think you've got all there is about one thing, then you've closed yourself off to the greatness of God, because the truth is God will never be exhausted. And I mean by that that He will. He, when I say exhausted, I'm using the sense of, of emptying. You'll never come to the point that you say, I've got all of that. There's always extraordinarily more, not, not in addition to what you have that is true, but not just in addition to what you have, but within what you have. There is extraordinarily more, and God will show that to us all throughout, all throughout this week. Tuesday is going to be another focus on miracles and divine healing. And let me tell you about Wednesday night now as I'm on, and I'll, and I'll preach. But Wednesday night, I want to have an anointing with oil service. I don't know if you've been in one of those or have experienced that, but, but a number of years ago when it was in one of our South African crusades, that we were anointing people with oil, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, Dale, I want you to start anointing people. And and here was the direction he gave me. He said, for the purpose of, now you got to listen to my, my verbiage now, uh, for the purpose of generational blessing. I didn't say breaking generational curses. I said generational blessing, someone shall bless blessing now he said these words to me not that I don't understand that there are generational curses or things like that but he said this to me he said there are a lot of people having services that break generational curses but hardly anybody's dealing with the generational blessing and the blessing is greater than the curse He said, so I want you to start anointing my people for generational blessing. And that's what I did because he spoke it to me when I was overseas. That's what we did in our overseas crusades, but I didn't do it on U.S. soil. And I went for three years like that when he finally just said this to me, and it was in the form of a question. He said, Dale, why are you not doing that at home? And since I didn't have a good answer for that, we just started doing it at home. (laughs) All right. But uh, let me tell you about about generational blessing. Here's here's what we all understand, whether you... uh, Whether you think in the category of generational curse or not, uh, here's what we all do know. Whether you're even a Christian, whether you're even saved, uh, let me explain to you. If you go to a doctor this week and he discovers something in you that appears to be cancerous, and maybe they'll do a biopsy, they'll run a test, but I'm going to tell you long before the report will come back from that test, he's going to ask you a question. In fact, it'll happen in the office that day. He won't wait a week. The question he's going to ask you, whether he's a believer or non-believer, that's irrelevant. The question he's going to ask you is this. Is there anybody in your family that's ever had cancer? Am I right? If if, if, If they test you and your sugar is high, and I realize you probably ate two Snicker bars in the car before you came in and you knew you shouldn't have done that. But nonetheless, if they test you and their sugar is high, they're going to come on. You know where I'm going, don't you? They're going to ask you a question i are going to ask you a question, is there anybody in your family that's ever had diabetes? Because they know that disease can pass from generation to generation to generation. All right. If great grandpa was an alcoholic, and grandpa was an alcoholic, and dad was an alcoholic, they're going to look at you and say, "There's something addictive within uh, your genetic makeup. You better watch out because that that thing is 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 there." We know that when someone's been abused, almost always the person that abused them they themselves has been abused because abuse can pass. Am I right? From generation to generation to generation. Now, here's what I'm going to throw out to you that if problems can pass from generation to generation, why can't blessing? Come on, why can't blessing? I believe it can. In fact, the scripture is full of it. It actually reveals that greatly. And I'm going to teach on that come Wednesday night. And then I'm going to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. And I'm going to believe God now, for everything that anointing does. I know that anointing heals. People say, well, that's the only night I can get my uncle out. He needs to be healed. That's great. Jesus heals with anointing. He delivers. He sets free. But here's the real goal. It's not just for you to be healed of diabetes. I'm going to believe God when we put that oil on you that we stop diabetes in your household from here on out. Not just for you to be delivered from addictions or fears or whatever. You know, even poverty, you understand, passes from generation to generation. I'm gonna believe God, not just that your needs be met, but how about this? How about poverty end in our households? Literally end in our households. So look for that. Come on, look for that. Because we've got a great, we've got a great week ahead of us. So you wanna be out every night, but man, I'm telling you, don't miss Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, you want to bring family with you. Even those that might not attend this church. Say, look, there's something that's going to happen for a house you want to be in on that. And if you've got family members that live too far or are too stubborn to come. Now, my brother lives in California he's probably not going to make it uh, here's what I would suggest do a little homework between now and Wednesday just take maybe like one of them legal yellow sheets of paper one of them big guys and write down everybody's name that you can think of within your household not just kids and grandkids I'm talking about aunts and uncles cousins whatever just put their names down and when we come through that anointing service we'll go ahead and touch that oil too, in Jesus name and we're just going to believe God come on for the righteousness of Christ and the light of who he is to shine within our households. Can you go with that? So there's a little idea of where we're going this week uh, and, and look for the good things of God to happen. Because let me tell you, sometimes people, if they know a little bit about our international ministry, they think, well, you know, I'm sure you have great miracles there. We'd like to go with you there. And we do take people, but let me tell you, Jesus is the same right here. May I go on record in saying this, that it is absolutely absurd, it is ludicrous, and it is insulting to the almighty God for us to indicate that he is great somewhere else. And that lie, the devil has told the people all over the earth, that God can do wonderful things, but not here. I'd like you to know that every place I go is the hard place. Every place I go is the preacher's graveyard. Every place I go is the burnt over field. They all tell me that everywhere I go. And here is the response you would get out of the original Greek in the scriptures of that. The response would be pronounced this way. <laughs> can I tell you that Jesus is great everywhere? Not in theory, but in reality. And there's no place I've ever been on the earth that he doesn't do great things. It is true. We've seen the blind, the deaf, the crippled, healed in Africa. We absolutely have. But can I tell you, we've seen the same things right here in America. Really. Now, now, here's the sad part about America. People don't respond the same way. So, in overseas, we'll, we'll get a blind person healed, and the next night the crowd will go to thousands. In America, unfortunately, we'll get a blind person healed, and most of the people in the church won't even tell a friend at work what they saw happen. And that's the difference. But as far as the results, the results, maybe not numerically, but the results in reality are no different at all. I mean, last year we saw four people in the, in the United States that were healed of advanced Parkinson's disease while I was preaching. I don't know what you think a great miracle is, but advanced parkinson's disease that's right on the border of a good one you know that it really is um, just this year, I was preaching in 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 Jacksonville, Florida, and I was telling pastor we had two uh, where were great miracles every night, but there were two that really caught my attention, and I'll remember for a long time. When I'm preaching, when I get through, I'm going to ask those who received a miracle to show us what God has done. And the front of that church was completely filled with folks who had testimonies. But the miracles continued to go on. While, were, while they were testifying, there was a, a young couple in the back. They had a, about, a, about an 8- to 10-year-old girl. She had totally lost all her sight in one eye in the last six months. She was totally blind, and it freaked them right out. They had her to a neurologist also eye doctors, they couldn't figure out why she lost her sight. They did agree on one thing, and that is the sight would never come back. The other eye was impaired, but could she could see relatively well with glasses on and and you know the service the preaching had gone on the music had gone on now we were having all these testimonies what is an eight or ten year old going to do they're not highly fixated so she's just next to the, she was on next to the last row and she just playing back there and when her mother noticed that she pulled her glasses off so she spoke to her kind of sternly as a as a good southern woman can do and said you know why do you have your glasses off and she looked up at her mom as a matter of fact and she said oh I can see again she said, watch. She said, walk well, and see perfect now. And God had opened her eye, took the blindness out of her eye somewhere in that service, either in the preaching or right at the end while the people were testifying. When she came up to the front, they brought her up to the front to show us the miracle that it had done. At this point, most people had sat down while they were listening to the healing. And so when I when I heard the testimony, I turned to the audience and said, wow, we should praise God. There wasn't anybody sitting down anymore. The whole house was on their feet. Now I'm talking about America. Did you all hear what I just said? I'm talking about America right here. And that very week, another couple came up with a child and one of those car carriers, you know, just a little infant, and they said, we're foster parents. We were given this baby 30 days ago after the parents had broke the hip, and the child had been to the doctor. They had mended the hip, but one leg was so severely short in the other one, and that pelvis was twisted so bad from the break that had taken place. And uh, somewhere in that service, either in, the, either in the preaching where it normally happens, but they discovered it during the testimony time. They just, they were sitting back then they looked down and they realized, oh my God, that child's leg is normal. And it had come out to the same length as the other one. And they checked the hip was completely perfect again. That's America. And that was in the last two weeks. Come on, guys. So, I mean, I rejoice. I'll talk to you about wonderful things I've seen him do in other countries, and he's great there, but he's great right here. Come on, he's great. Oh, come on, he's great right here. He truly is. He's great right here. I'm going to read scripture. Would you mind standing with me in honor of reading the word of the Lord? And if you have Bibles with you, it's Matthew, the 14th chapter I'm going to read. I'm going to read verse 35 and verse 36 from Matthew chapter 14. And here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how to experience the touch of God. How to experience God's touch. While you're finding Matthew 14, verse 35, something's wrong. Something's really wrong when we believe stuff that never happens. I'm tired of folks that are happy enough just with good theology. Now I don't want bad theology, but I want good theology and then I want testimony. You understand what I mean? We need to be able to point to the scripture and say this is what the Bible says and what we're saying is accurate, it's right, it's, it's a proper interpretation of it. But we need to say this is what the Bible says but then we also need to be able to say, but let me tell you how that happened in my life. This is what the scripture says, let me show you how that worked for my wife or my son or my daughter, come on. We, we should be experiencing, someone say experiencing, not just believing, we should be experiencing the touch of God. You found it by now, Matthew 14, the writer says this, and when the men of that place recognized him, now, him is Jesus, all right? If you read the more of it, you would understand within context. Um, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Now look at this. And as many as touched it were made perfectly. Now, I, I'm reading this out of, the, uh, uh, out of the NIV. It says perfectly well. Uh, the, the King James renders it in a way that I actually uh, kind of personally like. Maybe a little better. I feel a little more strength in it. It says as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Wow. I kind of like that idea. And I also quoted the King James, just so you know that I am ordained with the assemblies of God. <laughs> that was wrong. That was seriously wrong, was it? You may be seated. Thank you. Um, let me talk about where I'm coming from in the context of the message of experiencing God's touch. We read, you know, these two verses, and the end line tells us that as many as touched him were were made whole. They were made complete. And that's a shouting spot right there. There are amen spots in the Word. That's a shouting spot right there. Also borders on a dancing spot. I'll show you some of those in another night. But, but, But they're made perfectly. I don't know what that does for you, but that makes, come on, that makes me stand up on my hind legs on the inside and say, wow, glory to God. I like to see people made completely, completely whole. Now, for a long time in my life and in this ministry, I used to think that when miracles happen, they happen right now. They happen instantaneously. You lay hands on a blind guy. Right now, he gets a sight, a deaf guy. Right now, he gets a hearing. Someone comes up out of that wheelchair right now, and you think that's where really, they that's really happen right in this moment. I don't believe that anymore. I don't think like that anymore. You say, you don't believe a blind person can get immediate sight. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. That's, but, but, but this is what I used to think. I thought it all happened right then. I realized that's not true. Uh, let me say it in a way that you'll understand it best. Um, every church has got a, I'm going to call him an old Joe. And, and let me tell you who old Joe is. Old Joe is a guy that comes to the services very regular, but he's never gotten saved. Now, he's not a hypocrite. In fact, he's one of the finest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, if you need to have chairs set up in the, in, the, uh, in the fellowship room, he's right there early to make sure it gets done. He's there for a tear down. If you need a repair on the roof, Joe's with the crew that helps out with that. You know, I mean, he's in all of the service. You're doing something special with kids. He's going to set the whole platform up. Joe's a great guy. Everybody loves Joe. He's just never gotten saved. He just never gotten saved, and and uh, and you've all wanted him. They prayed him, talked him about it, but he just that he's never made that move. And then you finally get some flaming evangelist that comes on in, and he preaches one of them hellfire and brimstone messages. And good night to everybody, shock and surprise. Oh, Joe comes barreling right up the center aisle. He slides right into the altar of repentance on his knees, like he's coming in the home base there at a at a baseball game. And everybody's just blown away. Said, man, I didn't think Oh Joe would ever get saved, but man, that morning he came through, you know, and they think, now that evangelist, he's really got the stuff. I mean, what a hot dog guy he is, because no one could touch old Joe, but when he preached that powerful message, old Joe got saved right there, and now if the evangelist is equally as ignorant, then he starts strutting around and saying, that's what it's about right here, buddy. I I mean, we touch people that nobody can touch. We just got the gift for that, you see, and what they don't realize is that old Joe's had a grandma that's been praying for him for 40 years. And, and he's got a wife that's been living the life of Christ in front of him for the last 15 years. And here's what no one at all knew. And that is for the last eight years, the guy that works at the desk right next to him has been sowing that seed of salvation. We thought it all happened that morning, but it really didn't. God been working on that for a long time. You get what I'm, where I'm coming from on this? And when I began to understand that, I thought, now look, if we're ever going to walk with him in uh, in his kingdom and in his power, we have to get to the point that when he moves, we're not totally blindsided all the time. Listen, I know there are a lot of people that have gotten miracles of God, and they have no clue how in the world it took place. In fact, it seems to be a feature testimony in some of our churches where people will get up and say, oh, you all know the problems I've been going through and what a hard time it's been, but then God came through. I can't even tell you how. He just did it. We think that's a great testimony. I'm thinking, well, I'm glad he came through, but guy, God, man, that's a really poor testimony. You shouldn't be up there saying, I can't tell you how. You should say to them, let me tell you how he walked me through this thing. Because let me tell you, if you don't know how he did it, then you won't know what in the world to do the next time something like that comes around. And not only that, even worse than that, you won't know how to walk anybody else through it. Now, I realize that God's always beyond and more than what we know. I'm not saying we're going to figure him out, but you should not live your Christian life completely clueless and blindsided when answers to prayer take place. Are you okay this morning? Really, So I began to look at this thing, and I saw people being made whole, and I realized then that that didn't just happen at the end of that verse. There was something going on that moved people into that place where it happened, and I started looking, and I do it today. Whenever I read about a miracle or a touch of God or work of God, I don't just read that miracle. I start looking up the page. What is, what's going on in this setting that is opening the hearts of the people or setting them up? the miracle can i tell you we're going to see some great miracles this week but it's not all going to happen tonight it's going to be seen tonight but it's something that god's been working in you before you ever heard about this crusade and there are people in this city that god has set up to enter the kingdom And we may see it happen tonight or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, but I can promise you he has been doing something in their life long before they ever walked on this property and long before we've ever met. I believe in the eternal God who doesn't just work in the moment, but he's working throughout all of the distance. That's what I believe about him. So I looked at that, and I started walking up this page and saying, Lord, what are the indicators... It brings us to this point where everybody gets made whole. But what does it take to have that happen? So look at the passage with me again. I don't know how much I'm going to get to cover this morning, but let's walk through it. Because I saw, I saw half a dozen things that stood out to me. All right, Looking one more time at, at, at Matthew 14:35, the writer says, When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding country and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Are you there? Are you watching it? Or are you reading the text? you got to watch it to see it. And as many as touched were made perfectly well. Let's go right to the top again. The writer says, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent no wait." wait. When the men of that place recognized him, If my family was here today, my son, my daughter, they're both in full-time ministry, so they cannot be. But if they were here today, or any that has worked with us at length in daily Ministries, if they were here today, I could probably right now stop and say, would you tell them, would you tell them what I'm about to say? It's not in my notes. What I'm about to say right now isn't written in any outline that I've ever had. It's been written on my heart. And I've said it so often to our ministry teams and to my family that they'd they'd say, well, they'd they'd probably be able to say it right off. If they weren't sure, if they weren't sure where I was coming from, then I would just say something like this. I would say, tell them the greatest. Oh, yeah. And then they'd jump up and say, he's going to tell you right now that the greatest thing that God's ever done for anyone is to reveal himself to them. That's what he's he's about to tell you. It's going to be something just about like that. Let me, let me explain something. Everything begins and ends in him. Now, this is not a cute religious preacher way of presenting things. You must understand, everything, everything begins and ends in him. When John had unveiled to him the way of God, he said it like this in the opening of the book that holds his name. He says, in the beginning was the word. And you'll find that, that everything that is comes forth from him. The writer says, yet in another place, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Jesus is the center of everything. And if you don't understand that, now really try to follow me in this. If you don't understand that, then nothing makes sense because he's the rock. He is. The central point—he is the uh, the key pin of everything. So when he's not front and center, when he's not grasped or understood, then nothing looks right, nothing makes sense, nothing comes together. That's the reason why there's so much frustration and chaos in the life of a person that has never met Christ or doesn't understand the glory of Him who is the Eternal One, the One that rejects and finds that all of life and everything they do doesn't seem to hold the type of meaning that it should, the satisfaction that it should, and it can create a huge. Huge amount of irritation within them. Some even to the point of, of committing suicide because. And we look at them and think, "Wow, you got the world right, you know, by the tail." Look at man, you're doing a great job. You're whatever. They're popular. They got the money. They got the whatever it is that they've got. The power. They got the fame, and yen and they go ahead and end their own life. And you say, "Why would they do that?" Because nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense when He's not front and center. He, he's it. And when you come to Him, everything begins to harmonize. The greatest thing that God's ever done for anyone is to reveal himself to them. And whenever God is about to do something great, the first thing he does is he reveals who he is within that setting. That's, that's how it always takes place. He never starts with solutions. He doesn't start with methods. He doesn't start with programming. He doesn't even start with process. He always begins with himself. So, look, every one of you that are saved, anybody saved in this room? I think you are because I was watching your worship. The worship team did a great job, but the worship team can only go as far as you go. You understand that? They can lead, but if you're not following, you're not going anywhere. And I looked at this house, and I saw this was a house of worship. I knew you guys were on key with what's going on in the kingdom. But anyhow, uh, when when God is about to do something great, the first thing he does is he shows himself. He doesn't show process. Not that there isn't process, but he doesn't show process, or he he doesn't show strategy. He begins with himself. So you that are saved, you understand what I'm talking about because the majority of us, maybe all of us, but I'm sure the majority of us, when we got saved, the day we got saved, if in order to get saved, we would have had to pass a theological exam, well, we wouldn't have got saved at all. Am I right? In like fact, some of us still, <laughs> still couldn't pass it. I mean, really, if we said, now nah, you can get saved, but here's the thing you got to understand the doctrine of salvation. You got to understand the plan. You got to be able to articulate, maybe at least in essay form. What, oh my God, we wouldn't be saved at all. You know, what he did is he didn't give us a greater theology, he didn't give us a chapter and verse. You know what he did? He gave us himself. And we had, come on, we had an encounter in our heart with him, not, a, not just a theological belief of him, something genuine, something personal, something in reality happened between us and him that day. And we walked out of that moment knowing we were saved because we had met with the Savior. Am I right? Is this not true? Now, and So he shows himself. We who had no hope saw the God of all hope. We who had no faith encountered the author and the finisher of our faith. And the one who was all righteous, We, when we met with him, we didn't get ourselves straightened up. We didn't get our ducks in a row. We didn't become a holy guy. And then God says, I can let you in. We met him in a state of unrighteousness and he who was righteous imparted to us his righteousness and we walked out of that place knowing we had it the Lord. Yes. because people don't get saved now look they don't even get saved by saying the sinner prayer i'm so i'm so frustrated I, i'm i can't speak long on this but i'm so frustrated at preachers all over this nation today that tell people if you'll say this prayer after me you'll be saved and people say that prayer after them and they and they're not saved. Now, some of them get saved. Some people do get saved in a moment like that. But we got a ton of folks in our churches that aren't saved, and they don't know it. I told, in every church, I through, three churches. Two Assembly of God churches that were already in existence when I came to town, and then I planted. My last church was a church plant that I did on the property of, uh, younger people don't know what I'm saying, but some of you older ones will, on the property of an old gentleman that's gone on with the Lord by the name of R.W. Shambach. And I, and I pastored there uh, at that church for a number of years before I went on into the nations of the world. And I would tell every one of my churches, every one of them, there are people in our churches in this church that aren't saved don't know it. They're not hypocrites. They don't know it. Because someone has said, if you say a prayer like this, then you're saved. So they don't know any different. They come up, they say the prayer. Do you, all right, did you say the prayer? Huh? Do you believe? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, then you're, you're saved. My God, you're not saved until you meet Jesus. You don't get saved by prayers that you say. You get saved by him. You don't even get saved by belief. You get saved by him. He causes you to believe. It's out of the encounter with him that the belief begins. You don't believe your way into salvation. You actually have something happen to you that changes the way you see, the way you feel, the way you think, and what you know. And when that happens to you, you turn out believing something. So you don't believe your way in. You believe on the way going through. Does that make sense to you? Am I saying that too fast? Huh? All right. So here's what, here's what I think. I think when God is about to do something great, the first thing he does is he shows himself. And the reason why I got saved is because I found out there was a Savior. All right, And that happens when people get healed. They don't get healed because they believe the theology of healing. I have people say to me all the time, well, I believe in healing just like you preach. Preacher. I believe just like you. I say, yeah, well, you, can, you can die of disease that way. You can die of disease that way. You don't get saved by, by believing the theology of salvation. You must have an encounter with the Savior. You don't get healed by believing the doctrine of healing either. You've got to have an encounter with the healer. When he touches you, something's going to change within your life. It will absolutely happen. It will happen in this day, this very day in this room. It's going to take place. But, this, but whenever God's about to do something great, you can always tell because there comes a focus on Jesus, a reality of him, an unveiling of him. Now watch this. Only to the degree of which Jesus is revealed are you able to connect with him. And only to the degree of which he's revealed are you able to access the kingdom and the promises and the power of God. Because Jesus is the door. He's not a door. He's the door. You don't get in through knowledge. You get in through him. Are you following me? I need to say that loud because I'm speaking to an American crowd. And I realize uh, that when you deal with Westerners, all right, Western European. You with the North American, and 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 you actually even somewhat with the Asian, we are very analytical kind of people, and 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 so we think in in strategic ways, and we have let ourselves believe that we can only receive stuff that we can understand. If you, and so we believe that we have to teach people into things and that if we can instruct them and teach them and the deeper they go in the understanding, the deeper their experience will be. That is absolutely false and not true. Let me tell you, we don't, we don't, we don't think our way into the kingdom. You don't figure it out and then get in. Most of us, again, coming right back to salvation, most of us, uh, we got something that we had no clue how great it was. In fact, the truth is we still don't have a clue how great it is. He always goes beyond what we know. And so we taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't actually figure it all out. If you go from the other approach, you will actually hinder yourself rather than help yourself enter the things of God. Trust me, you don't have to know it all to get it all. You have to know him. And out of that moment with him, there will be an impartation to you that goes beyond anything you can understand and, quite frankly, in many cases, beyond anything you can very clearly articulate or express. When people get saved, and I keep going back to salvation. Now, let me tell you why. Because if you know how to, now listen, I'm going to probably tell you this every night. If you know how to get saved, you know how to get everything God does. Let me say that out loud again. I want you to think about this. If you know how to get saved, then Look at me, you know how to get everything that God does. Now someone said, I don't know about that preacher. I mean, I know I'm saved, you know, because I know Jesus is the door. He's the way I got into the kingdom with him. I believe that with all my heart. I, uh, now this healing thing over here, I don't know. That's like a hit and miss deal. I don't know how. I, I don't always know how to get through that door. And then this other one over, this Holy Ghost thing, whoo, wow, that just zipped right over my head, man. I don't, I don't, I don't have a clue how you get through on that one right there. And, and that's because you think there are multiple doors. There is one door to this kingdom, and that's Jesus. Now hear me, because when you think, well, that's the salvation. No, no. He's the door. He's, he's the way. He's the way. The very way that you entered in for salvation is the way you enter in for healing. Is the way you enter in to receive the Holy Ghost. This is the way you enter in for the blessing of God in every area of life. When you start thinking there are multiple doors, that's where the confusion has come in. You're looking for other things. That's not it. It'll always come through him. And to the degree he's revealed, it is to that degree that you can enter. And you can't enter beyond that. It has to come in a revelation of him. So some of us you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. I may just be saying it in a way that you haven't said it, but you say that's right on. That's a nice way of looking at it. But you all know. Some of us we we found out that we were not in a hopeless situation, that we could be saved, and he opened to us eternal life, when we entered in. And maybe the fellowship group that we were in at that time, they, they told us, that's it, you go to heaven, you know. But then we, then we got around some of these folks that tell us that, oh, good night, not only can you be saved, you could actually be healed. What? Yeah, no, you can be healed. You could actually have an all. Oh, and we had a revelation, an encounter, a moment where Christ opened himself to us, and we got healed in our body. Now we figured out, oh, look at this, I, not only can you get saved, but I can get healed too. And then some of us, we found out, no, no, there's way more than that. You can get the Holy Ghost. The what? The Holy Ghost what? And then what you do is you meet Jesus, the Savior, who is Jesus, the healer, and who is Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? And it goes way beyond your understanding. You don't have to figure your way into this. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the pattern of our overseas crusades, because it'll solidify the point i'm trying to make to you right now for a great number of years uh the way i would minister overseas is uh is i would preach and an african meeting begins they 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 start on a wednesday they go wednesday through to sunday when we do these open air that's how their style is so i would preach on wednesday thursday friday saturday jesus saves jesus heals jesus delivers From the very first service there'll come miracles and many of the areas we're in, not all of them but many of them that I go to are uh, the the mix of the audience is the city is predominantly Muslim so uh, I was recently did a tour in Africa, and the first city we went to is Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. It was 60% Muslim. The next one we went to was, was uh, Zanzibar, and that's 95% Muslim. The next biggest group will be Hindu and people that are Christian, which are predominantly Roman, Catholic, and Anglican, comprise 2% of the community. From there, we went to Tonga, Tanzania, which is ninety percent Islam, and the next biggest group would be Hindu. And then we finished in Mombasa, Kenya, which, depending on who you talk to, ranges anywhere between seventy to eighty percent Muslim. Now, from the very opening of the services, when I stand up, I tell them straight out, and I'll talk about this maybe maybe another night because it's not wholly relevant now. But I tell them it's not a Christian event; it's an event when Christ, where Jesus is going to come and reveal himself, not to Christians but to people. You do understand when he first came, there were no Christians. Hello. There were no churches. He came for people. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. And I tell him the way he does is he reveals himself, sometimes through direct revelation and other times through signs and wonders. And I says, that'll happen. You don't have to be a Christian to get this. Just... You're in the place right now where the living Christ is, and he'll show himself. And I tell him, if you give me 10 minutes, it'll start happening. And it's going to probably start happening right now, but it'll happen within 10 minutes. Before I'm through saying many times these various things, you'll see people coming, walking out of the out of the crowd holding crutches over their heads or braces or things like that. Miracles' heals just start healing people all through that crowd. And when I finish, I'll turn to the the very opening night, I turn to the the lead pastor in the area that has helped structure the crusade that is there responsible for the follow-up that we're going to do, and we have a program for them to do that and so on. And I'll step back to him and I'll say, because I tell the folks that when they get healed, unlike in America, when I, in Africa, I tell them, the moment you get a miracle, if you're out there and you had a stroke and now your arm works, your leg works, or you had arthritis and it's left you, or you had a tumor and it's gone, I have we've trained altar workers. Uh, we will generally have between 80 to 200 altar workers that the local Pentecostal churches will give us, but the crowd themselves... We'll never be more than 10% Christian that is there because we're in the community. It's not, it's not that high percentage of Christians. And so I'll tell our altar workers, here's what's going to happen. People are going to start coming up when they get a miracle. And when they do, you've got three questions you're going to ask them. Number one is, what did you get? And then they have to verify it. They say, I couldn't see in this eye. We want to see that they could see. If They're carrying a crutch or a cane. We want to see them walk without it. And then next thing they need to be asked, number two question is, who did that? Because we're not dealing with Christian people at all. And so they will confess that. Now the Muslim will always say it this way. He'll they'll say it's the Jesus that guy's talking about because Allah's never been known to heal. There is nothing in the Quran that says that he worked miracles or healed people. It's not part of the religious belief. So they don't. But the Hindu, my God, there's no telling what they're going to say. So we make sure. And they, and those from tribal religions, which are huge, huge, uh, you know, they can go off to some other ancestral god or an ancestor they think that might have healed them. So when they must come to the point of confession. It was Jesus that did what happened in me and. They- then when they finish that, they're asked the third question, and that is, will you embrace him now as your God? And they will become born of the Spirit right there on the ground while I'm preaching. And then they load them up on the stage. And so when I finish, I've got a line of people ready to testify. Because I don't when I finish preaching, I don't give an altar call for salvation. We preach the word and then he's confirming the word with signs following. So they must have they must hear the word and then witness the evidence of the word. And the word is a person, not a sermon. And that evidence will be through the supernatural. And so I'll I'll go first to the testimonies, and I'll step back to the lead pastor that is there. And for the last four years, I've I've asked this question, and for the last four years, I have not been given the answer to the question. I'll ask this, what do I have what am I going to be interviewing? What do we have? For, I don't need names. I don't need cities. I don't need history. Here's all I want to know. And my interpreter is already bringing everybody in the crowd right to the edge of the stage. So I got 60 seconds at best. And I got to be back at the microphone because he's done. And I said, I need, all I need to know is this one had a blind eye. That one had a deaf ear. That one had a tumor on their back. That's all I want to know. Tell me as fast as you can go. And they don't answer that question. This is what they say to me because they're shocked. They say, Dale, you got to understand over 60% of the people in the testimony line are Muslims. And I say, that's very nice, now I have 35 seconds please tell me what I'm going to be interviewing when I get up there. And so then we, we bring them up, and they begin to tell the story of what Jesus has done within their life. And that's what I've done. But, and then I would say, Sunday morning, I'm going to go to churches in the area that have been supporting this meeting, and our team will go into them, and we're going to preach on the Holy Ghost. And every one of you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Actually, all of you have gotten saved, because the, after the testimonies, thousands, thousands will come to repentance. They will hear the gospel, they will see the evidence of the kingdom, and then I'm telling you, the Muslim, the Hindu, and, and those who serve tribal gods, they will come, not by the hundreds, by the thousands, to repent and become born of God. And so then we say, you got to get discipled, you've got to get in these churches, and here's the hook I would do. I'd say, I'm going to preach in some of these churches. And in Africa, you can preach in two, three churches on Sunday morning, because they don't have 90-minute services. They go on forever. And uh, so I can hit several churches, and, and I said, I'm going to preach on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And we would normally see between 500 to seven to 900 people get the gift of the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning before we return to the final. night at the crusade but about two years ago the Holy Spirit said to me you can't do it this way anymore and I was in the northern part of Tanzania and I was looking at this crowd that now would grow to 18,000 in a single service and I knew there was no way no way no way we were going to get them all in a Sunday morning service in the churches that we were at and he said just 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 do Saturday night do a Holy Ghost service instead of a healing service And I asked the Lord very very plainly when I was there and in in Dar es Salaam just last year. And I said to him, how do you preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost to a crowd that's not Christian? I don't mean unchurched. I mean not Christian. How do you preach on the Holy? He said, Dale, just preach the gospel. That's what he said to me. I'm standing on the stage. I still hear that voice. He said, "Just now you understand, I'm going theological on you right now. When he said preach the gospel, well, the gospel is not how to manage your money. That's in the Bible, but that's not what the Bible calls the gospel. The, the gospel is not how to, how, to, how to parent right or how to behave as a husband toward a wife or a wife toward a husband. The scripture teaches that. It's, it's biblical teaching. It's not what the Bible calls the gospel. The gospel has to do with the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The gospel is that he walked this earth as a man. The gospel is that he went to Calvary and there he bore our sins. The gospel is that he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible calls the gospel. Do you understand that? That nutshell right there is the part that is referred to as the gospel. The life, the death, and the resurrection. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he said to me, as I'm looking out across two large soccer fields jammed with people, the vast majority of them being non Christian, and I'm preaching on the Holy Ghost, I said, Lord, how do I do this? He said, just preach the gospel. So I didn't teach them about tongues. I didn't teach them about the elements of the Holy Spirit baptism. I told them how that the, uh, the Almighty God came to earth through a virgin birth, how he walked this earth as a man demonstrating the kingdom with signs and wonders and power and speaking forth the word of the Lord that transformed people's lives. How that he lived a sinless life, but then he went to Calvary's tree and he bore all of our sin and our iniquity and it died that day. Sin was put to death and he was raised again on the third day. I said, he walked among us for 40 days and, and, and nights and he spoke of things concerning the kingdom after he had raised from the dead and then before everybody's eyes he ascended right into the clouds. Right there they watched him go and he, before he left he made two promises. I said, do you know what those promises were? I'm telling you everybody leaned forward and every ear was listening. I said, promise number one is that I'm coming back again. Oh, come on, I'm coming back again. Now that's a dance." verse right there, in case you didn't know. And the second promise was that before I come, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. I said, and that's what he will do right here. And he'll do it right now. And we called him to repentance. And then I separated the altar call from the general crowd. We were looking at pretty close to 27, 2800 people on this particular service. And I said, now here's what's going to happen. God's going to pour out of his spirit. I didn't try to define it for him. The scripture says it happens suddenly. And I said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next couple moments we're going to worship the Lord. And then he's going to open up the languages of heaven to you. And you'll start worshiping in the languages you don't know. I said, all right, let's start by worshiping because he's the baptizer. You've got to connect with him. I'm going to tell you, I've been doing this for the last two years this way. And I can promise you, if you're with me, and we're taking a group to Kenya, and you need to come with me because we're inviting people from our churches all over America. We'll take 30 or more people with us to this event, but you'll watch it happen. I'll say, all right now, for the next few moments, I just want you to worship the Lord. They know how to worship God. I mean, we go to churches, you know, where people say, well, this is a dry church, they don't worship much. Oh, no, you don't get the idea. These guys don't know how to worship God. I mean, the word praise the Lord is not in their vocabulary. I know a little Swahili, and I was in Dar es Salaam last year, and I was walking down through the town, and I happened to see some guys that were working, and they were kind of friendly. They waved, and I, and, and I said to them, asafiwe, which in the Swahili language means praise the Lord, and they looked at me and said, we're Muslim. I said, okay, in that case, in that case then, <laughs> I says, the, then we'll say gani,' which means, uh, how are you doing? You know. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at them. They don't have any words to say praise the Lord with. I mean, it is in the language. It's not in their vocabulary. They don't know hallelujah. They don't know thank you, Jesus. They don't know I love you, Jesus. That's not, they've never said those words before. And I said, let's praise him. And here's what happens for the first two minutes. And my God, it seems like eternity. They'll just kind of go. That's what's going on. And thousands of people stand in front of them, they don't, they don't know what to do. The worship team will be worshiping the Lord, but they don't know what to do. They just, and so I'll say to them, here's what you want to do. This is how you worship. Think of something good he's done for you and tell them about it. Because every one of you gotten saved. Most of you have gotten a healing miracle. Tell them thank you for what he did. And they'll start. But it'll be very regimented. And I'll say, but it's going to happen. The heavens will open. It's supernatural. You don't teach people into this. He comes. I said, it's going to happen. Trust me. It's going to happen. But for the first three minutes, you're going to say to yourself, can I do? I say to myself every time, this was a stupid idea. <laughs> we were doing real good on that healing thing, you know. And here we got all these people just kind of going, you know. I said, it's going to happen. And I've had lots of folks now with me from America that have witnessed it. If they were here, they could tell you it's absolutely this way. All of a sudden, and it happens in seconds. The heavens open up. And you'll see, and the Muslims are often the first to get it, you'll see hands will shoot up in the air. Tears will start coming on faces. And the next thing you know, within, within a three- to five-minute window, well, in Mwanza, it was 2,500 people broke out speaking in tongues. They had no prior teaching or information to it. 2,500 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We turn on next week, went to, went, went to uh, uh, Dar, and the crowd wasn't quite as large as that. It was still thousands, but, and there was 1,000 people that got it just like that. You know why? You know why? Because he still knows how to reveal himself. You know, the book of Acts says this in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus, and I'm going to end with this. And He says, I'm writing to you the many things that Jesus both did and taught. Now, you need to pay attention to the language. He said the things that Jesus both did and taught. In our culture, we think you've got to teach before you can do. But it says there are things he both did and taught. And if you pay attention to the gospel, you'll find out this is what he'd do. He'd walk into a city where they had no idea who he was. And he'd start by opening a blind eye or he'd cleanse a leper or he'd make a deaf person hear. And they'd go like, whoa, what is that all about? And then he'd say, now sit down for a minute and let me talk to you about the kingdom that is among you. He didn't teach him into it. He moved in there in power. What I'm saying to you is this. All that has to happen is he has to be revealed. And in the passage that we read, we read this. And when the men of that place recognized him. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I thought, oh my God, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's coming next in these verses, but I can tell you right now, We're about to see something supernatural. Because whenever Jesus is revealed, supernatural things take place. The Spirit of God said it to me one day like this about four years ago. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And he has a little simple word. He just said, Dale, whenever Jesus comes, something special always happens. May I say that to you right now? Whenever Jesus comes, something special always happens. Always happens. They recognized him. You say, preacher, don't you think you're stretching it? Don't you think they just, they recognized his beard, his eyes, his, you know. No, no. No, it can't be that. Because when he went to his own hometown, they had facial recognition. They said, oh, we know who this is. No, come on. What's the stuff we're hearing about Jesus? He's the carpenter. We know his mother. We know his brothers, his sisters. We know who. See, they didn't really know. They thought they knew but they didn't. But when he's unveiled and people behold him, whatever they see, they can enter. Did you hear that? Whatever you see, you can enter. Here's a little thought for you. Whatever you see, you can do. And whatever you hear, you'll become. You walk in light, you don't walk in darkness. Whenever the light comes, whatever you see, you can step into that. Insight always precedes entrance. There comes an unveiling. When a light shines, you can move in that. Whatever you hear will form who you are. That's why when Jesus would preach, he would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Not everybody in that crowd heard. I don't mean they were deaf. They didn't hear the call of the kingdom. But when you hear it, it forms in you. The power of the gospel is seen in this. It creates in the hearer the things that are being declared. It formed the one who said, let there be light. And the world didn't say, what well, is a nice idea? When he said, let there be light, guess what? There was light. That dry land appeared, it becomes. And if you will hear the word of the Lord, if you will hear this voice of God, the one who Adam said when he hid amongst the trees that he heard, and I love the way the King James says it. It says, he heard the voice of God walking in the garden. That's what it says. He heard the voice, and it was capital V, the voice of God, the word of the Lord. He heard him in that garden, and he called him out. Let me tell you, that same God will call out people here. Some of you are going to come out of darkness and into light. Some you are going to come out of depression and into the joy others. You're going to come out of sickness and plague and disease. Even during the preaching of the word, there will be a transformation within your body. You'll stand up and find your pain is gone. Your eye sees, your ear heals, or the little child you have sitting next to you will get that miracle because of the power of the word. Not the excellency of a man's oration in his sermon outline, but the power of the word of God is being declared It's coming forth. My God is coming forth right now. Can you feel it? It's in this room right now because when the gospel is coming forth, it comes forth on two frequencies at the same time. There's that frequency which you hear from my vocal cords hit, hitting your eardrums, but there's another frequency. It's the frequency of the spirit. It's the voice that you can only hear with the inner ears of the heart. It's the second voice that's heard with the second ear within, and when you hear it, it transforms your life, and you're going to bring folks, friends into this place. I'm going to tell you and they're going to have no prior knowledge of the kind of stuff we're talking about, but they'll sit in this room, and the Christ will come to them, and a transformation will come into their life. The will be set free and i've seen that happen by so many the anorexic will be delivered just like that the demon possessed will be set free those that are sitting in darkness and confusion a light of god will shine upon them and the sick in fact will be healed also it'll happen with great grace would you stand with me all over the house please you've been so kind to listen to me i here's what i want to do this morning um I always know where I'm supposed to go at the end of a service. And and uh, and this is how I minister. I you know I know I've been I've been very much involved with church work in America. I know a lot about the way we handle church today, not just how we handled it years ago. I've been to the seminars and so on and for the most part the element of what we're we're teaching pastors to do is to build everything around the message. And so if you do it right, if you do it the way they like you to do it here today in America, then everything points to what the theme of that service is. So the, the songs that are sung are not randomly picked. They point toward the message. If there's a, a skit or something that goes on, a drama, it points toward the message. If, you, if you've done it right, by the time the preacher gets up to preach, you already know what he's going to be preaching on, even though it's not pre-announced. It's been pre-announced through that service, because everything is built around the message. And when they're through, they just, amen, and God bless you, and you go out the door. But let me tell you where I come from. We never preach. We never set the service up around the message. We, we, everything was built around the altar. And the whole idea, everything we sang, and everything we preached was for one thing. It was for us to step back, step back right now and meet with him because he's about to do something in you that is beyond the message that I could articulate and beyond the song that could ever be sung. It's the greatness of the Lord is going to come. So whenever he puts a word within my heart and he says, this is what I want you to deal with today, whether it's something I've never thought of before or whether it's a message I have preached a hundred times, whenever he says, this is where we're going today, I already know what's going to happen at the end of that service. I'm going to tell you what I want to do right now. I could give an altar call for salvation. I could pray for the sick right now. We could do all those things. They would be fitting. They would be nice. But here's how I want to pray for you. I want to pray according to the word that's been dropped in my heart. And, And that is this. The scripture and all I went to, there's so many more points of this. But the thing that I focused on today was the men of that place recognized him. You know what I want to pray for you today? I want to pray now follow my language, my description because this is how I pray for myself and how I pray for my household. I want to pray for what I call an ongoing unfolding revelation of Jesus in your life. So for some of you that'll mean different things because some will need to healer, some will need to deliver, or some will need the baptizer, some will need all of that and more. But I'm going to pray for this an ongoing and I say ongoing because here's the truth of the matter, you'll never fully appreciate or understand. Or grasp who he is in one encounter. He's way too much for that. He's way too much for that. So you need to have an encounter this morning, sure. But 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 let me tell you, if you're really going to get to know him, you got to have something to happen later on too. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe this evening. Maybe in your sleep. Maybe in your morning. I want to pray for an ongoing and an unfolding revelation, because whatever you've seen of him, there's way more. There's depths in him. There's wonders in him. There is a beauty of him that no one has yet seen. If you stop at what you know, you'll have missed too much. What you know is real and what you know is wonderful, but there's so much more. Can I pray for you? And I pray for you right now for an ongoing unfolding revelation of this wonderful Jesus. Will you receive that? If you will, just stick your antennas up like this and let's grab it right now. There's so many things I know you will do among us this day, O oh God, and even this week, extraordinary things you put within my heart, and I know it is for these people. But I pray this, because I know that everything begins and ends in you, and only to the degree of which you're revealed and perceived are we able to actually touch you or enter into who you are. May I pray it right now over every house in this room, over every individual, every adult, every teen, even the children in this building right now. I pray for an ongoing O oh, unfolding revelation of this wonderful Christ. That he will be seen as he is, the all and in all, the altogether lovely one, the rose of Sharon, the bright and the morning star, the hope of all creation. You are the one that everything bows to and all creation sings about. How I pray that he be extraordinarily